Welcome to the Avance Podcast. I'm Dan. And I'm Nick. How's the how's the week, man? <laughs> you need to have less of those. I, well, I tell you, it's just, you know, it's it's the holiday season or it's coming into the holiday season and just trying to get a bunch of stuff done. And, you know, it's, you know, you, you, you do one project and it creates six more. And, um, Dude, you're telling me. I, well, I know. I'm not <laughs> preaching to the choir here. Uh, yeah, I think I think I am finally like settled here. Like every the, the garage is the way I want it, kind of. And I say that kind of, kind of, <laughs> you, know, yeah. you know, garages are forever growing projects, correct? And not in a bad way. No. Like garages are fun projects, but man, mm-hmm. uh, I haven't done anything on the shop because I went and got the trailer. Ah, yes, so, yes. You made a nice trip down to Portland. Yeah, actually, Bend. Bend. Went oh, even Bend. farther. Okay. Um, stayed in the loudest hotel of my life, even though it was one of the highest rated. It was a barrage of noise. I actually went out and slept in the truck for part of the night instead of. Because between the dog waking up, because the dog, if people are talking and really loud, he gets freaked okay. out. So I was like, I got to sleep because I got to drive tomorrow. So <laughs> I did that. Um, it was a terrible stay. But it was a great trip. The trailer's fantastic. Easy You pull. didn't sleep in the trailer? I didn't have it at the time. It was the night before. <laughs> oh, it was the night before. Okay. Yeah, right, but now okay. I'm the proud owner of a 20-foot enclosed aluminum car hauler. Pulls like a dream. I was worried about um, you know the Raptor being such so sprung so soft that it yeah. would sway a lot. but. Trailer is only like twenty five hundred pounds. I actually stopped at a scale. It's almost exactly twenty five hundred pounds, um, and it barely even notices it's back there. But it's really tall. Like I can stand up and walk through the trailer. So if that gives you anything. It's a little it's nice. Yeah, it's it's really nice. But it you know it made me think. You know, I've got to I've got to order so much stuff. So I've I had to go. I, once I got home, I was like, all right, what do I? What else do I need to actually pull a car comfortably? And then it's tie downs for the walls for the e track, tie downs for the floor, different tire tie downs for other cars. Like you want to have everything in there, and then it's a storage rack for all of it. So it's a fun project, but again, it's like you know, the cost of the trailer plus 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 plus. So, but and and you're getting ballsy in the fact that you've now announced to the internet you own a truck and a trailer. I know so, somebody needs to be somebody yeah. should be like, yeah, yeah, this is the guy to call him and remove. Yep. Yeah. Well, I, I was thinking now the only thing stopping us besides money, we need sand rails and snowmobiles and that new Can Am Maverick and what else? We need? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you're not kidding. Yeah. Um. So. <laughs> Yeah, I've got the trailer. That's great. Um, boy, I'm trying to think what Have else. Have you tried to put the car in it yet, just to see? Not yet. Okay. Uh, I haven't had the chance. That's another thing, though. We've got the R8 is ready to go, and it's kind of driving us nuts because these nice, cold, clear days. Mm-hmm. We really want to go drive, but no S-Tech on it yet. Yep. And so once it gets paint protection, we'll be good to go. But uh, <laughs> it's like it's like standing up in a convertible naked. It could be fun, but it could really hurt. <laughs> <laughs> so I know you've been working on a lot of uh, trying to find upgrades for this car, and you've mm-hmm. been l- searching the internets and things like yep. that. Um, find any good deals? What's going on? All right, yeah. So it's gift season. Let's talk about our Carter Automotive Group tip of the week. Nice segue. Um, so, welcome. <laughs> well, well played, Nick. Uh, so as I was uh, looking at a nice set of wheels today. R8 GT wheels take off. I was like, those will be perfect. Need a second set of wheels anyway. Like we can do a set of track tires on those or something. Just And being OEM Audi, I think they, even though people think they look kind of basic on that car, I actually do think they look pretty good, preference. Um, but found a deal that was a little too good to be true. So I did my due diligence. I took the, uh, captured the images he took of these wheels. And I did a Google reverse image search. I found them from a post somebody had posted in Europe two months ago and sold. Clearly, it was a scam. Um, Yeah. Tried to track his IP and send a drone strike, but that didn't happen. So because I don't think there's anything worse than scammers on the Internet. Um, I hope you all. Yeah, anyway, um, let's not go down the rabbit hole. But anyway, yeah, so it's it's that season. It's the season of buying gifts, and it's the season for scammers. And they're coming out in force on Car Parts Online, especially Facebook Marketplace, which has probably some of the worst spam control 
because, and there's a reason for this, since there's a reason Instagram and Facebook especially have some of the worst spam control out there. And it's because it's detrimental to their uh, online user base. If they suddenly banned every spam account, their user numbers would drop less than half. And so it looks like you get those, you know, those influencer, quote unquote, fan pages. Well, 90% of their followers are spammers. And so they don't actually have a million followers. They have like 10,000 or whatever. And so that drives the cost down. So it's just a BS game. Anyway, reverse Google image search any image you find. Look at their page. How old is their page? Go to their pictures. Are, look at the comments of their pictures. I mean, these guys are getting pretty good. They're smart about this. Mm-hmm. Look at the comments on their photos. Are the comments real? Are they other scam pages? And and a sad but true way to check is if all of their comments are from people all over the world and not local to their area, that is actually a really easy red flag to tell a scam page because they all work this network together. Think of it like a, a more advanced botnet in a way. Sure. And so because, and you're going to find, and the, you know, the stereotype is true. A lot of these things are going to come from India and Nigeria, um, smaller African countries and, and Southeast Asian countries with really poor internet control are where a lot of these things come from. So look for that. Um, if a deal is too good to be true, it 99.9% of the time always is. Uh, if you want a good deal, look for slick deals. I've told you guys that a hundred times. Places like that online that you can better legitimate. Um, they kind of do the thing like bring a trailer draws where you can look at the comments and see how people are commenting on the deal to say if it's a really good deal or why it's cheap. Um, look for things like that. But yeah, especially with car parts, man. There's just unlimited scammers coming out of the woodwork this time of year. And I want to add something to this, and I have to preface this by we are not giving out financial advice, but I want to make people, some people aware of this by by buying stuff and things like that. Um, as of 2023, if you take in money through Zelle, or not through Zelle, through PayPal or through Venmo and things like that, if it's over $600, you are now going to get a nice tax form. Right. Um, so uh, be aware of that. Uh, so cash is king. Just a little thing I was dealing with. I was selling some stuff and uh, the the seller or the, the buyer told me, he's like, I can give you cash if you don't, if you don't want to have this tax consequences. You can do it through Zelle, by the way, and there won't be tax consequences, but just an FYI. So. Yeah. Yep. That's true. And also, uh, PayPal is a better way to pay online, typically because of the buyer protection that PayPal offers. They offer fraud protection, which is one of the few services that does. Venmo typically never, uh, almost always is like we always say, Venmo is for drug dealers. That's typically how that goes. And friends, yeah, but I pay you through Venmo. I know. Oh, okay. That's for drugs. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's for food. So kidding. that's technically true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. The American food system, it probably is drugs. Pretty much. So, yeah, yeah. No. No. But uh, we always say large cash purchases in Venmo are, are typically not. Well, well, the government uh, took it from $20,000 down to $600. So, right. And a lot of yeah. people aren't aware of that. And they're going to end up with a, a nice form coming from Venmo and PayPal. So, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, a uh, bit expanded on our uh, Carter tip of the week, but good <laughs> stuff to know for this time of the year. Just watch out for those scams. Um, I know it's tempting to jump on those deals right away because you don't want to lose them. But uh, I always tell people, if you're selling something online, take a picture of your username and the date and post it with the item you're selling. This is a great way to show that you actually made the post, uh, especially if, if you're not shy, put your own face in it. Just be like, hey, this is me. Point to it, and that will really help your sales for one because people are very <laughs> aware of scammers, and that's just a great way to add some credibility to your post. Don't be shy; get your get your face out there. You're already on Facebook anyway. You've already given everybody your data anyway. So, anyway, watch out. Good luck to you. Um, if I have any good car deals, I'll let you guys know.
All right. Uh, this week's guest uh, has a, a long history in the podcast industry, uh, a really interesting career history that I can't wait to talk to him about. He is the host of the Collector Car Podcast and uh, automotive consultant for RM Sotheby's. Sotheby's. Um, welcome to the show, Greg Stanley. Thanks for joining us. Hey. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, you've kind of had an interesting week, haven't you, Mr. Stanley? Yeah. <laughs> it's been, yes, it's been a crazy and insane week, ending on a really high note, obviously, with the sale of the GTO. Uh, if- but it's been nuts. I've, I've been sick the entire <laughs> week that I've been traveling and doing all this. <laughs> uh, for our car enthusiasts who haven't been following this, uh, another record was set. Uh, if you're from the Pacific Northwest, you know about the 250 GTO that set a record many years ago. Well, four years ago down in Monterey for about 46 million. Uh, the record has been taken. Uh, I believe it is now 51,000 and or 51 million. Sorry, not 51,000. Sorry, 51,000. I'd have one. Uh, but Greg was a big part of this car coming to market. And one of the reasons we wanted to have him on the show, uh, we tried to have him on, uh, before and some scheduling things. So this worked out really good. And the fact that the car has just crossed the block and he's got lots of good things to talk about. Yeah, you just lead the way, and I'll uh, I'll take you there. So talk, talk. Let, let's just let's just cover it. Talk about how this car came to auction and what part you you held in it, and and how a new world record has been set. Yeah, yeah. So it's interesting because I know we'll talk about my career a little bit. Um, it's crazy for anybody to be connected to a GTO sale, you know, much less a guy like me that's not even in the industry that long. Uh, but it comes down to the fact that. I knew the family and they knew I was with RM Sotheby's and they knew the power of RM Sotheby's, you know, selling the Uhlenhout Coop for, Coop for $142 million before that selling the GTO up there in the Northwest for $48 million, you know, top two sales of all time. Where do you want to take your car? Right. You know, and I uh, had a good relationship with them and they just asked me if I would represent them for this historic sale. And I said, absolutely. <laughs> so, you know, give the folks at RM a call, have a meeting, get everything figured out. And, you know, once the RM Sotheby's machine gets to work, it's incredible uh, what happens just from a, a global perspective. Like a car like this, it's not like there's a hundred buyers out there. You know, there's like three or four in the world, you know I mean? It's just crazy. And you really have to have that network, that knowledge, that relationship that they do have. Um, in order to achieve a record sale, we saw Monday night. Can you give us a little bit of history on the car? I mean, is 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 it a one owner car? How, who's owned it? I mean, we don't need names of owners, but I'm saying kind of the history of the car, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a it's a, we were calling the car the one because it really is such a special car. It's a 1962 Ferrari GTO. Now, just have to preface this in that it started life as a 330 LM. So when you look at the world, and it's funny because not one single article got any of the facts right. You know, I think the closest was actually a company that does watches. <laughs> okay. you know, it's like, oh, that one, they got it pretty close. But, you know, when you think of GTOs, you have the 36 original 250 GTOs and you have three prototype cars. And this was one of the three prototype cars. And the reason we can say it is a 250 GTO is that after it finished its prototype work, it went back to Ferrari and Ferrari turned it into a 250 GTO from the factory. So when you look at, you know, a good trivia question, how many GTOs are there? Everybody will say there's 36. Well, there was actually 37 
when you factor in this one left the factory a year later as a 250 GTO with the three liter with the five speed. So anyways, it started out as it has the GTO bodywork that everybody knows, the three D scoops on the front. You know, it started out, though, with a four liter engine and a four speed. And the reason being is Ferrari saw that Le Mans was opening up a category uh, racing class and they wanted to dominate it. So they took the 250 GTO idea and they said, you know what, let's beef it up. Let's put let's create a car on a Super America chassis. Let's put in a four liter engine. Let's put in a four speed and let's just, you know, let's dominate. And so it looked like that was going to happen. The first race was Nürburgring. The The car won its class. This exact car won its class. And it came in. It came second overall. So it started off like looking, man, this thing's going to tear it up. The second race was Le Mans. And unfortunately, because these cars did, never had great brakes, believe it or not, uh, actually ran off the racetrack a little bit into the sand, got stuck for a little while. The driver dug it out, but ended up overheating the rest of the race and it never finished. And there's some pretty amazing pictures of this. If you haven't gone on Arm Sotheby's and seen the Don't Blink video, I highly recommend you do. It's an incredible video. And they did just such a wonderful job. And you can see videos of this car racing at Nürburgring. You can see it racing you know, at Le Mans. You can see it overheating. You can see them pouring like water on it and, and carving holes. You know, They actually ripped out the, the D-scoops in the front to try to get more air. And they actually put holes behind the, behind the hood. Uh, in front of the windshield to get more uh, ventilation. And what's fascinating is when this car went back to the factory to t- get turned into a 250 GTO, they incorporated uh, two of the scoops. So it's the only GTO that have those scoops. It kept the four liter hood, hood bulge, which was larger than the regular 250 GTO. That's So it's the only one that had that. And then honestly, it, it had a different nose on the front of it as well. So that's where we're calling it the one. It's one of three, then one of one, and then one of one, and then one of one. Just a super, super special car. So since 1963, May of 1963, uh, that's when it left the Ferrari factory as a 250 GTO. And then it went through a number of hands after that. It actually, I think it came in second at the Sicilian Hill Climb in 1965. So it continued its racing and was successful in a different format as a, a hill climb participant. And then it went to a couple different owners. Fred Leidorf, who was one of the founders of the Ferrari Club of America, he owned it for like seven years, did a ton of research on the car. Uh, Jim Jager bought it in 1985, and he's the the owner that sold it this time. Um, so it's been in the same family since 1985. They've loved it since then. They've shown it. It's been to Pebble. It's been on the GTO Tour. It's been to Amelia Island. It's been to Cincinnati Concord. I mean, it's... They've really enjoyed the car and uh, have shared the car with the world, and we're hoping the next owner does the same. That's absolutely amazing. I mean, we're obviously, being from the Pacific Northwest, we're big fans of, of people showing these cars, um, especially the GTOs uh, you know, and the, the, the history of them. Uh, obviously, a lot of history for Ferrari. I think if most people know who Ferrari is, they know what a 250 GTO is. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know so much yeah. for the younger people, though. It's great to have that kind of history because I don't think there's a big – Every time I talk about a 250 GTO and I talk about the prices they go for, there's the people who have seen them and know the car and understand it, and the other people who just don't get it at all. There's very, it's very polarizing, and they're like, why would anybody pay that for a car? I said, how much would you pay for the Mona Lisa? How much would you pay for a Da Vinci original? That's pretty much what we're talking about in the car world. It's like, this thing looks as good sitting in your living room as it does on the road. So take your pick. It's, <laughs> I hope to see it more on the road, but yeah, it's... It's cool to have that kind of history. And that's why it was that's why it was sold at Sotheby's to kick off Art Week. 
because, you know, it was being sold with a Picasso, I think sold $136 million that night, you know, and a Monet that sold for like 30 million that night. And, you know, it kicked off the evening. And I actually, even I had been up for 34 hours straight, I went upstairs to the art auction to check it out because when else are you going to do this? And it was really fascinating, the difference environment, the different environment between a car auction and an art auction. The car auction, you know, it's, you know, it can be a fun environment. You know, people are filming, people are, you know, kind of chit chatting, you know, and they get all excited in the art. When I walked upstairs, it was like very dead stoic. silent, you know, there's a lot more people and it was so silent, very serious. It was very interesting. The differences within basically the same company, Arm Sotheby's and then Sotheby's, the other division. So really, really quite a fascinating evening. This is sort of a, a, a deeper question. Did it always carry the number seven? No. Good question. So it started out at the Nuremberg number 120. Um, and so if you watch the Don't Blink video, you'll see the car going in all these different, you know, with these different numbers on it. It was at Le Mans with number seven. And then uh, it was at, I think, Targa Florio with number 120. So those are the three numbers that it lived in. So when it was restored in 1990, I believe, uh, the owner decided to put the Le Mans livery on it with the three D scoops. Um, it actually should have uh, kind of a mail slot. You can see it in one of the videos, this like mail slot looking GTO uh, nose. The D scoops weren't there. Um, one could argue it's not as attractive because it's like a, a mail slot versus the iconic D scoops. But when we met with Ferrari North America, the head honchos, they were dying to see that mail slot back on it because it's the only GTO that had it. And uh, they would love to see it back from the factory that way. So, you know, you see, you know, 36 go by with the three D's and then you see one with a mail scoop. You'd be like, oh, yeah, what's going I on there? have a question about that. So Ferrari is notoriously overreaching, in my opinion, on their on how people use their cars, especially modern stuff. But I, on their are they the same way in their older cars when people decide to restore? Like, I wonder what the cutoff is. I mean, nobody's going to resto Moto 250 GTO as of yet. Somebody will someday and we'll all hate them. But um, <laughs> but I mean. You know, is Ferrari as, you know, hands-on when it comes to restoration of their older classics? If you're doing it with them, they yeah. sure are. Yeah. Beyond that, I don't know of much interaction unless you're trying to get, you know, information, Ferrari records, Classic A information. So, for example, when we were bringing this car to market, we actually flew, flew a specialist with their Classic A department over to the U.S. to kind of run the specs in the car, you know, make sure everything's legit. I mean, he was he was you know, measuring the width of the chassis tubing, you know, and really, really interesting stuff. And he had pictures and blueprints and all sorts of stuff about the car that nobody had ever seen. And uh, weren't allowed to take pictures of him, but we could look over his shoulder for a little bit. Super That's nice really guy. Cool. And, you know, the goal there was, is, you know, this car has basically three different lives. It had the life in which it was born as a 330 LM with a four liter triple carb, four speed engine. It actually had an engine switch into a uh, six carbureted version. And then it had the three liter with the five speed. And so the question becomes when you restore this car in what form do you want to do it? Do you want to do it when it was the most successful? Maybe, it, maybe this car did it, but maybe it, it ran, it ran at Le Mans and came in second or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, do you want to do it as it left last left the factory, which is what Ferrari wants. Ferrari wants it to be when it last left the factory. So this car, you could make the argument, well, I want to put the four liter in it. I want to have the four speed. I want to keep the D scoops and I want to put number 120 on it because that's when it first raced, when it had the bigger engine, 
uh, had the hood bulge and all that kind of stuff. Um, but Ferrari would say, you know what? You need to have it with the three liter, which it has right now, the five speed. You need to put the mail slot back on it and number 114 or whatever it was. Yeah, 114. Because that's, it left the, not with the number, but it left the factory that way. And they would love to see it as it last left the factory. And when it last left the factory, it was a 250 GTO. Huh. Interesting. I, I mean, I'm learning more about the bodywork. I have all of my models here and I've stared at them. And there's, there's several scoops on the 250 GTO, the 24 car that I have here that I've always wondered about. And now I know. So, uh, yes. <laughs> well, get a, uh, get a flathead screwdriver and you can make it into exactly. a I'll just, I'll just clear those out. That's fine. That works too. Yeah. Make it rare. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Just chisel away at it. Sure. Uh, so you've been you've been with Sotheby's for what it says four years about right three three years almost yeah. four yeah I, Amelia COVID shutdown was like I started before then but that was like my really my first hey let's meet the people in person everything was starting to shut down I never seen so many men wash their hands when leaving the bathroom before <laughs> and uh, you know the, the world shut down I don't know a week and a half later and that's right when I started with. Uh, with RM. Yeah, I wanted, I'm not going to go through your whole career, but there's a couple things I wanted to ask you about as I was browsing your LinkedIn, which made me laugh a little bit. Uh, employee, uh, creative business speaker, employee workshops that teach practical business lessons from a creative perspective using cartoon imagery and iconic characters. And I got to go through some of the titles here because they're great. I was like, this, this is funny. <laughs> Continual learning. Go from Gilligan to MacGyver. Uh, team building 101 for a zombie apocalypse. Leadership. Hurting cats the right way. <laughs> And I was just like, all right, this this has got to be a good story here. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I uh I'm a creative guy and I draw cartoons at times. And this is this actually is a good question because it leads into what I'm doing today with cars, honestly. And I wanted to see how can I give back, right? And so I, I wrote a book for kids. I started doing public speaking, go from a Gilligan to MacGyver you know, which is really dated when you think about it. Like who knows who Gilligan is and who knows MacGyver is, you know, yeah. well, you guys do <laughs> just sit uh, right back. Uh, anyway. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. So I wrote a business book. I did a lot of public speaking. I started up a podcast called learn from others where I would interview people about their careers. It was basically the same, same five questions, you know, what, how did you get started? What would you change? You know, kind of, so what advice would you give someone who wants to do what you do? And I really enjoyed it. And at the end, I would always have a little car thing. So if you were like, if you wanted to be a doctor, I'd pick out a car. I thought a doctor would like, a collector car that a doctor would like. And I had, I had a guy on my podcast who was a political speechwriter. He wrote for, I think it was Ronald Reagan. And we were talking afterwards and I forgot how it came up, but he's like, you know, how do people know you? And I said, well, or if people were to sum you up in two words, what would they be? And I said, well, I'm the car guy. And he's like, well, you should probably do a car podcast. <laughs> and so it sounds really dumb and it sounds really simple. But nope. um, so I started the Collect a Car podcast, right? And I enjoyed it. I started networking, meeting some cool people, meeting some cool collectors. And I had seen a job posted on LinkedIn for a car specialist for RM Sotheby's. And I don't, I love my day job. Like I sell candy for a living. I love my day job. Great boss. I don't have any plans to leave. And, but I just thought, yeah, you know what? That's the dream job. Let me see what happens. So I put my resume out there. I didn't hear anything back. Well, they were having a sale in Dayton, Ohio. I'm up in Cincinnati, so not far away. And I said, well, you know what? I'm going to go up to the, uh, the auction up here just to see what's going on. And so I went up to the auction and I actually recognized one of the car specialists because he's been on some of the TV shows, you know? 
And I, I yelled out to him, hey, I applied with you guys. Never heard anything back. And he's like, you go, you need to go over and talk to that guy. And he pointed out a guy. Turns out at the time he was the president of RM Sotheby's. <laughs> Good guy to talk to. Yeah. So, yeah. Probably yeah, can make decisions. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. So I introduced myself. And he's like, you know what? The, the spam filters probably cut it out. You know, the, the resume filters. I never saw it, you know? And um, he gave me his email address. He said, well, send me your resume. So I sent it. And they called me like two months later. And they said, you know, basically, um, we don't have a job for you, but we really like your podcast. We like the networking you're doing. We'll offer you a consulting gig as a car specialist and we'll pick up your podcast, like as our official podcast, you know? And so that's where it started. You know, I just, in my side time, in, in my downtime, I would try to get some cars for auctions. I would cold call, you know, everything a, a car specialist does. And... I ended up getting the biggest car in the world uh, to sell this past Monday. So it's really a crazy story. That's really cool, though. Like, it's funny how that stuff works. I mean, people, we started our podcast because people were like, you guys should record this. And then I just... Boy, were they wrong. Yeah. Uh, and, no. and we just molded... I, I molded over and I was like, hey, Nick, we're doing a podcast. He's like, uh, okay. I don't know anything about podcasts. I don't listen to them. I'm like, perfect. No, I said I don't like podcasts because <laughs> yeah. they're about a bunch, a bunch of people pontificating about themselves. And I was right. That's what we do. Uh, <laughs> so, no. <laughs> and it was just, you know, it just went from there. But it's... it's Well, you know, the thing about my podcast is it's basically the topics as a car guy... Like I find interesting or what, or I don't know mm -hmm. about, all right. I don't know about coach built cars. Let's do an episode about it. You know, and I love market trends. I love seeing what's going up and down in the marketplace. Um, I love, I like talking to people, interviewing people. Sometimes that takes a lot more work because you got to schedule, as you know, numerous times. <laughs> and so my podcast is, is everything from I'll cover an arm South of auction. Like I got the Las Vegas formula one auction coming out tomorrow with one of the car specialists on there. I was actually podcasting from the lobby of the wind they asked me to to do some podcasting for their concord and uh so that's coming out tomorrow and while i was there i i interviewed bruce meyer we had a wonderful conversation i had had him on before he covered his ultimate garage i had him cover his top 10 cars which all happened to be in his garage they weren't like they weren't like dream cars because all his dream cars are right. in his garage good problem and, uh, this time it was just catching up and having a good time so you know if I pont pontificate, I'm the only guy in the room usually, so I try to throw in some fun facts and stuff. I like that, yeah. <laughs> okay, so going through your LinkedIn, um, and I'm going to preface this with a question afterwards. See, if I knew you, I, if I knew you were going to check my LinkedIn, I would have No, well, this it. is what I'm going to ask you. Are you a baseball guy? Oh. No. <laughs> so It's funny, I was going to ask the I same think thing. you know why so, I'm asking that, but you know. <laughs> yeah, so I, I said I worked for a candy company. The candy company that hired me is Tops who at the time owned all the baseball cards, Star Wars yeah. cards, Walking Dead, all that kind of stuff. That's no longer the case. Now they split they split companies. I work for the candy division of Tops, but that's now... But as a child Bazooka of the candy 80s, brand. I mean, I had all the Tops baseball cards, and I, I think I even had the, the the Desert Storm cards and things like that. So that's just... It's a name I haven't seen in forever. And then, obviously... I, I used to collect yeah. them, like, as a kid. It wasn't for the baseball cards. It was for that gum that just, like... Yeah shattered when you yeah. get into it let's not call that gum that, that was gum. a temporary you know that's an interesting topic though because if, if i think we touched on this briefly <clears throat> in an episode a long time ago and that the collector card market is a surprisingly lucrative and has very good returns if you've been collecting for a long time if you know what to look for well you can actually do 
oddly well with that. You can. And before top split, I knew someone in that division and they were just like, it's crazy. Like they, they had to pull the product out of target because of fist yeah. when the cars show up. And, uh, yeah, I met a guy and what he would do is he would buy, you know, all the cars he could and he would repackage them. So it would be like well, whoever your play favorite player is or team, he take all those versions and then make a team dedicated deck, you know, and that's the kind of stuff where people got real creative with how they would repackage in a form that the card company was. Yeah, a friend of mine, um, it, you wouldn't peg him as being one of those kind of guys, but he goes to like every uh, garage sale and flea market and house sales. But he loves estate sales because he can often find cards that people just don't know anything about at all. And if he's get lucky enough to stumble across them first, and he's a serious collector, he knows what to look for and he scores. He's got some decent, like he, they're literally investments. They're thousands upon thousands of dollars. And it's just like, and they're not going down. They, they It's a market that ebbs and flows like anything, but typically they've been a really good return market, which is just weird to think about. I can do that with Legos. Right. Why are you so surprised You're about not, baseball cards? <laughs> well, I'm just surprised at the cost. Like some of these things, you know, like you find it, it's part of it, I think, is the fun of the scavenger hunt. But part, I can't believe what people do pay for these all the time. I mean, well, I would get I would get some free cards from my coworker. She just want to clean out her cubicle. I'm like, yeah, send it to me. I'll give them to my nieces and nephews. And it was like a year and a half later, I gave something to my nephew and he opened them up and he's putting them in two miles immediately. Ones that are worth under $10 and ones that are worth more than $10. And he knew it. I'm like, wait, how much money did I give you? I thought it was giving you like a Do I need to get a receipt? Card. And it was like, <laughs> yeah. I know. It was like probably $250 worth of cards I gave him. <laughs> so how did you end up in the candy industry though? Because I see, I mean, that's really a huge background for you, a lifelong industry, if I'm reading this right. Yeah, so I I was a uh, college dropout, right? And uh, and I was slinging Oreo cookies for Nabisco, uh, slinging cookies in the grocery stores. And I just moved up the corporate ladder, became a district manager, sales rep, then district manager, uh, account manager, that kind of stuff. And at one point, they they said um, I'd been around for like nineteen years, and uh, they said, "Hey, we." we got to lose a headcount on this team and you're the, the least senior with 19 years. Whoa. You know, very old team. And uh, they said, but we've got a job for you up in Cincinnati and we'll move you and we'll buy your house because it's during the recession. And uh, I said, sure. Yeah. And that, that was in the convenience channel. And then after a while in the convenience channel, the company bought and sold that kind of stuff. Ended up working on candy, uh, still Nabisco and Cadbury. So all of a sudden I'm getting a candy background uh, no, and, and craft foods like Sour Patch Kids, you know, no desire on my own part. It's just what you do when you're trying to keep a job. Right. And then got laid off again, uh, 47 of us in the same division, actually. And I got a job offer the day I was supposed to interview to maybe stay with the company. I got a job offer from tops and, uh, it was, it was better pay, better bonus. And I'm like, all right, I'm out of here, you know? And so Started with Tops and it's been in their candy vision ever since. What's funny though is I realized like two years ago, I'm like, I used to sell candy out of my backpack in fourth grade and now I'm doing it as a full time kick. That's funny. That seems yeah. like it'd be a fun industry, yeah. minus the layoffs part, but like just the surrounding industry of the marketing side and the yeah. creative side no, of it. it. Like it seems like it'd be fun. You go to candy yeah. shows, yeah, trade shows. Go to the store to the diabetes show. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. So, I mean, what. 
I went to my dentist today. I went to my a dentist, my dentist today, and I just told him you're, you're welcome. Yeah, <laughs> you, you should pay me to be here. So what? I mean, are, are, right. are you dealing with? I mean, as as a candy junkie, uh, are you dealing with uh, sour patch kids and stuff like that now, or what, what? What candies are you dealing with? Yeah. Oh, it's bazooka gum, okay. ring pop, ring pop, pop, okay, jump, juicy drop pop. Nice. All those. Okay. Those are all the bazooka candy Fun. brands. Yeah, it's a great company. They're super nice people. Remember the good old days when you get candy cigarettes? You know, remember those? No. <laughs> those were fun. People are too uptight now. But you had to blow out. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Interesting. All right. Back to the car stuff. I am curious. Uh, you clearly know your stuff about the GTO. That was impressive, by the way. I liked uh, listening to everything about that. What other interesting cars have you come across that have really grabbed your attention? The, the two GTO is an easy one that grabs everybody's attention. But something interesting that you've helped sell or come across that you just like, man, more people need to know how special this car is. Well, I'll give you Perfect. two, and they're the two that are in my garage. Um, one, I can't believe I found it. It's a 1965 uh, Mustang Fastback. But what's special about it is it's the hypo version. So it's the, if you look at engine codes, I know I don't want to bore everybody, but you got the two, you know, the six cylinder, you got then the base V8, you got the four barrel V8, and then you got the high performance V8. And the high performance V8, the K code, they call it because of the K code engine code. In 65, you couldn't get AC, you couldn't get power steering, you couldn't get it in automatic. You had a 90-day warranty because they figured they were pretty much going straight to the racetrack. And those that's the car that Shelby grabbed and turned them into the GT350s. And I was with my dad at Amelia Island for the Concours and the RM Sotheby's sale. And he wasn't feeling great, you know, and we I grew up in Jacksonville. I said, let's go to the beach, you know. He just wasn't feeling good. And... I'd say, we got to get out of this hotel room. So we start driving around. I drive around downtown Fernandina Beach. And I'm going to do a video about this. So if you guys want to hear and see the pictures of this, go to my YouTube channel. It will be another couple months because I'm swamped. But um, we're driving around and I see this ivy green Mustang 66 convertible on a lift in a building. And yeah, and there's a phone number on it. And so I take a picture. And as I take a picture, a guy's walking by. I'm like, hey, is that your car? He's like, no, it's my neighbor's. So I gave him my business card. And I just leave. And about 20 minutes later, the guy calls me and he's like, yeah, that's just a six cylinder Mustang. You know, you want to be interested in that. And he's like, but you know what's under the tarp, don't you? And I didn't, I didn't occur to me there was a tarp or anything. And he's like, that's a hypo fastback. <laughs> I'm like, are you serious? Like this is during car week where all the car specialists, all the experts, Wayne Carini, Tom Cotter, every, Mikhail Hager, everybody's there. And I'm finding a hypo fastback underneath a tarp, right? And so I go back there and we, we look at it. It's not running. It's partially disassembled because he's thinking about restoring it. We started talking and he's like, what would you do with the car, this car if you owned it? And I said, well, looking at it, I'm like, this thing's so solid. I would just put it back together and drive it. And it, it really sunk in. And the guy, he retired from a VP of Walmart super centers. He had opened all the Walmarts in India for like three years. Super, super nice guy. And as I'm leaving, he's like, well, you know, I'm thinking about selling it. You know, I'm like, well, let me know if you ever do. So we just stayed in contact. And eventually, like six months later or so, he called me and we agreed on a price. He's like, but you can't get it until it's the way it was. I bought it 18 years ago, running, driving. I'm like, all right. You know, and so he he put all the parts back on it. He pulled the seats out. He shampooed the carpet. He uh, he called me up. He's like, what kind of tires? You, what wheels do you want on this car? They came with two sets of wheels. You know, I'm going to put new tires. I can't leave this without tires. And it charged me for the tires because he just felt he, he's like, hey, and you get a money back guarantee. 
like the guy was such a stand. He sent me videos of every option, all I mean, all the accessories working on the car. Like it was crazy. And he had only put 12 miles on the car in the 18 years he owned it. And I fly down there and I get the car the weekend of Amelia Island this year. And I put 100 and, 118 miles on it in like three days, just barreling down the back roads of Amelia Island. The gravel, it has all sorts of uh, dents and dings, you know, on it. So I don't have to worry about the paint. It's also just flying down the gravel roads and stuff. So it's it's such a cool car. And the other reason it's really cool is for five months, they had this special exhaust called an Arvindo exhaust for the for the car. It's basically factory glass packs. Like you look underneath it, you're like, there's no mufflers, but it's from the factory that way. And uh, I love that fact that it has, you know, it's loud, but it's loud from the factory. So that's one of the cars. Any questions about it? I mean, that's amazing. I, we've talked about that on the show about selling cars to people that you know are going to take care of it and are going to use it. And that's a perfectly good example is somebody looked at it and went, this car is going to a good home and, and they're going to make it, you know, whole yeah. again. It's I have like I have like six people that want to buy it from me. I'm like, this is a car I don't have to worry about. It's it's rare. It's special, but I can just drive it and enjoy it. You know, um, I'm not going to restore it. I'll let the next that was my exact next question is, are you going to do anything to it besides just keep it running? But now you're just going to drive it. And I love it. Yeah. And the other yeah. one I'll tell you is actually crazier. Um, while I'm trying to sell the Ferrari GTO and I'll do a video about this one too. Um, I got asked if I could help someone sell a Pontiac GTO. Now this is not in the RM world, Sotheby's world. This is just a friend who knew I'm a car guy and it's a friend that went to his wedding. We actually, anyways, and I was like, eh, you know, trying to help someone sell a car. It's, uh, it's a lot of work. And I said, well, where is it? They said, Chillicothe, Ohio. What is it? 1966 Pontiac. I'm like, oh, okay. That's kind of interesting. Then they said it was a GTO. I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. And then they said they were the original owner family. Like, oh. Then they said it was unrestored. <laughs> I'm like, Checking what? the boxes. Keep yeah, going. One owner unrestored. <laughs> yeah. GTO is a good thing. Yeah. yeah. And, um. So I asked them to send me some pictures and this thing looked brand new. And they sent a picture of the, the damage on the car. And it was like two little holes in the back of the passenger seat, the size of an eraser head. And the daughter that sent it said she was mad at her dad when she was five and she chewed into it. And I'm thinking, if that's the damage on the interior, you know, I got to check this thing out. And so I, what's interesting, her dad, the dad had passed away like, two years ago, three years ago, I heard about the car on their dad's birthday. I went to go see the car and ended up buying the car on their mom's birthday. And they were like all excited about it. And so I show up, the car had been in storage for 40 years. It was put in storage in 1983. And it is such a special car. They have a picture of it the day it was bought with a stuffed tiger on the hood in GTO advertising at the dealership in the back window. And it's totally unrestored. It's it's uh, the guy, he loved the number 66. He was a race car. He was like a, a dirt track driver. All his race cars were gold and red and had number 66. He even had a, a gold and red jacket with 66 on the back. And he had a Sunoco service station. And it, uh, there's a picture of the Sunoco service station with all the um, trophies in the back. You can see from his racing career. And so what this car is insane. So he ordered it special ordered. I have the the original uh dealership invoice. And on the invoice it shows that he traded in a 65 VW two-door 
and a 60, I think it was a Ford wagon for this car. It has all the special stuff he ordered listed. And it's a special paint car. It's tiger gold. And it has a red pinstripe, which is interesting because if you look at all the GTO books, it could only be white or black. Well, he special ordered it red. And when they were pulling the gas tank to get it up and running after 40 years, they found the build sheet. And on the build sheet, it says tiger gold, red stripe. Like it's, it's crazy. And then it's, it's the 389 tricarb. So it's the biggest engine. It's four speed factory AC, which is really rare power steering. And it has a, like a gold interior and it has, um, red fender well liners, which is another really rare option. So it's got the red pinstripe. It's got the red fender wells. It's got gold. It's got a, uh, vinyl roof, black vinyl roof, and it's totally unrestored. It gets even crazier. The last three digits of the VIN are 389, 389 cubic inch engine, last three digits on the VIN. It gets even crazier. The guy had a Sunoco service station. So when you open the hood, it has oil change stickers going back to April of 71. On the original oil change stickers, it has his name on it. The original owner's name is on the oil change sticker because it was his service station. His name was Bobby Morgan. It's like Bobby Morgan's Sunoco Station or Morgan's Sunoco Station. Like, I keep pinching myself. Um, anyways, it's getting some work done now. Carbs rebuilt, you know, all that kind of stuff. I think it's going to be on Jay Leno's show next year. Um, we'll see. But it's it's such a super and, cool car. What's your plan? Are you going to drive it or is it is it going to be... I'm going to drive it. I'm going to keep it as preserved as possible. My goal is to show it at the uh, Pontiac Nationals at in Norwalk, Ohio next year. If Maybe the GTO Nationals. I'm not quite sure where those are. But it's so crazy that I, I actually have a picture of my GTO next to the Ferrari GTO. Uh, we were going to recreate the car and driver episode or magazine from 1964 that put the two against each other. It fell through because the uh, author insisted on driving the $52 million Ferrari and the owner didn't want him to. I'm like, we can get the son to drive you. He's a race car driver. You know, like he was a race car driver, you know, but the whole thing kind of fell apart. So I'm hoping we can still get a picture in the, in that. Cause I wanted to do a 40th anniversary of that article or 60th anniversary coming up in uh, February of next year. So, uh, yeah, it's just really, really kind of crazy. Just write the article, take the photo. You don't need to drive the car. Move along. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Balls yeah. to even ask, actually. Yeah. <laughs> That's the biggest thing. So, right. I'd be happy just to ride it more. Yeah. Than I'd just be happy to look at it. Uh, it's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's so obviously you, you have a, a, a real muscle car background. I mean, uh, obviously you love all automobiles, um, you know, but I mean, did you grow up with a lot of muscle cars in your family? No. We, uh, my dad, you can kind of see it behind me. There's a picture right there. That's my dad's Mach 1 he bought new in 1969. And that's the picture of it the day they bought it. And it has a dealer tag in the window. But he sold it a year later when he had my older sister. Um, no, didn't grow up with cars. Um, I think what happened was, is I started liking cars. And my dad's friend, I was probably 15 at the time. He came by and he had a 66 Mustang convertible that was gorgeous. And I fell in love with it. And I took a bunch of pictures. And I offered to wash it so that I could touch it. And I don't know what happened, but it just, the guy left. Like, I didn't sit in it. I didn't wash it. I didn't get a ride in it. And I think it was like that forbidden fruit. Like, all right, it's here and now it's gone. 
and now I must have it, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> no, I get that. So, I think, I mean, we interviewed a good buddy of ours, Mark Green of, of Cars. Yeah, he was doing the same oh, yeah. thing. He used oh, to like cars. go down the street and wash yeah. people's cars just because he wanted to be around them. So I get that. Can you believe he sold his orange I, crush? You know, I've known Mark, we both have for a long time. I mean, since his Griot days, and I cannot believe that actually. That car is so, so iconically linked to him, but uh, I'm sure he'll he'll find something. <laughs> So, yeah, I hope for so. sure. Yeah, that that was I was shocked when he did that. Is there anything? Is do you have your dream car then? The sixty six? Um, no, no. I well, no. The Ferrari just you sold. Know, I he always told think, you. <laughs> yeah. I always like the. So I I never I, I'm a Ferrari judge now. I judged the Cavallino. I've judged that the Inno Experience in Bend. You know, after Monterey. Um, so I, I love Ferraris. Uh, there was never a world I could even dream of as a kid, you know? And so I've only more recently begun to really appreciate Ferraris. And I love the 275 GTBs just because I think that's kind of like a, to me, that's an Italian version of a Mustang, Mm -hmm. you know? I mean, it's just almost the same kind of proportions, you know, long hood, short deck, that kind of stuff. It's just beautiful car. Um, After, so I didn't tell you this, but I did drive the GTO like five weeks ago. Um, The real one. And, after driving, and I videotaped it, and I'll post it at some point, because at one point, my co-driver starts yelling, slow down, slow down, slow down, and there were five deer on the side of the road. Can you imagine that? <laughs> that could have hindered the sale Anyways, a little bit, you know? Yeah. yeah. It that fender didn't come with venison but, on it, sir. <laughs> <laughs> but after driving that, that was the first time I'd driven a true gated shifter, you know, 1960s V12 Ferrari. This thing, you know, it doesn't have any interior it was all aluminum that's the way they came and i just that thing just that was a reawakening you know and so i don't know that i like this is where i'm like yeah man spend a million dollars on a fake gto and just drive the crap out of it you know like i know some people are like oh that's a fake one i'm like man who cares if it has any semblance of the experience of the real one i'm like that would just be incredible so to answer your question i got a million like if i had to pick one i i'd love i've never experienced it but I'd love to have an old big Duesenberg SJ. Um, I'm a Mustang guy. I'd love to have a 66 Shelby. You know, I love all the Shelbys, you know, but until you drive them and sit in them, it's hard to really say what your dream car is, you know, cause you know, some cars I thought I'd, I'd want to own. And I, I sat in my buddy's XK 120 Jaguar and my chin was at the top of the dash, like I'm windshield, yeah. you know, my chin, my mouth and nose and eyes are in the yep. wind. You know, I'm like, yeah, I don't want one of those. I, I've recently acquired, I will, it will probably never happen, but I'd love to like drive it like a blower Bentley. Like the idea of like, you know, yeah. the classic cars where you have to turn on nine things before you can do anything. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, I love that. I mean, the simplicity of today's cars are nice, but I mean, the idea that you have to do, you know, fuel pumps and, and starters and all that, I, there's something about that. Yeah, they had a, they had, I was at the Las Vegas Concord last weekend and there was a really cool one out there. And that's, that would be on the list. Actually, you know what? Jay Leno has one that I would love to have. He has like an oversized one. Uh, Jeremy Clarkson took it on the track one day and it's got like a, I think it's a Merlin airplane engine in it, right? Just insane. And I want, so I don't want a two seater. I want something I can take friends in. You know, if, if, if you're talking about my one and only car, ultimate dream car, I want something I can share with people. 
And I that thing is just so crazy and so nuts and beautiful and cool and big. See, the McLaren F1 has that would three be seats. Cool. No, I was thinking more about that uh, Ferrari 250 bread van. You know, you could oh, shove yeah. a bunch of people in the back of the bread van. They put oh, Christmas yeah, trees go. in the back of it. You can do that. You could scare a lot of people with that. Yeah. So. Right. <laughs> yep. Yep. There's a lot of cars that you hit on that good point. There's a lot of cars that you, you covet until you drive them and you're like, this isn't quite the experience I expected. And some are better and some are much worse. And like, uh, I, there's a lot of cars I've driven that I didn't think I would like that I love. I mean, like the Countach is one that I, I hate to drive and still want terrible to drive. And yet it's still, it's so iconic to me from my childhood that I still want one. It's just going to sit in the garage because it's freaking awful to drive but man is it cool well we've talked about a hundred times i mean the magnum pi car even you yes. always you look at that car and you thought it was the most fast beautiful car in the world and they are beautiful but then if you've ever been in one you go uh, that civic just passed us yeah <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah i think there's zero to 60 in yeah. nine seconds eventually yeah eventually yeah, yeah. If, they, if they run and i don't fit in one I yeah mean, I yeah at all you I, cut the roof off yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> take through i have to get a target because i don't fit in one otherwise and i do really want one still it's, it's still on my list i think you know when, when i think back to iconic cars and being children of the 80s i think i still go back to you know 69 dodge charger yeah. uh you know trans the, the bandit trans am any day uh yep. would be uh, would be something Speaking of slow yeah well i know i know yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> really couldn't jump that bridge just so we're clear no. yeah so you know <laughs> but uh yeah I, I think there's there's so many iconic classic cars that are starting to appeal more to me i mean i love the modern cars but you know oh yeah yeah no it's just it's now you could you could probably educate me. I was in a a friend of mine. He's not a client. A friend. He has quite a incredible collection. Every car is either perfectly restored or perfectly preserved, okay. like low miles. And he had two Bandit cars in there, and one of them had one of them had something like eighteen thousand miles original miles on it. Wow! And the other one had less, like eleven thousand. Like between the two, they had twenty six thousand miles on them. And what was interesting is one had the uh, 6.6 liter, the automatic. So the automatic, is my understanding, was the crappy Pontiac engine, I believe yep. it was. But if you got the four-speed, you got the high-performance Oldsmobile engine, maybe? I'm not an expert on this. But it was really fascinating because he had them side-by-side, side, both unrestored, the automatic vinyl or uh, fabric interior, and then the stick shift had the vinyl interior. It was really fascinating. Now, he didn't plan it that way. He he picked one up because it was low miles unrestored, and then he found another one. And they just happened to have the two different engine and transmission choices. So it was really cool to see them next to each other. I mean, again, you know, you, you talked about it with 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 your Mustang. I mean, the choices when you went into to to spec a car back then were so different. As far as you know, I mean, with the Bandit car and, and the Snowflake wheels, like it, it, to have the original Snowflake wheels, it's unheard of. I mean, sometimes yeah. those are selling for more than. You know, we, we used to joke, not well, not a joke, but like they talk about the Ferrari steering wheels off of some of the older cars. Like the the steering wheels now are worth more than some of the cars that they're that they're yeah. sitting on. Um, you know, and the options. You know, you, you know, like I was going to ask you about the the GTO. Like, how did he convince them to build that car when they weren't building those colors? Like, how did did he have some kind of hookup with that? It was special ordered. Um, I don't know if he had special hookup or not. You know, he had passed away and yeah. I asked the daughters. Oh, the other thing that's cool I haven't shared with you, and I can email you these pictures. I have a picture of the daughters in front of the car, black and white, the day it was bought. And I have a picture of the daughters in front of the car 57 years later when I bought the oh, car. Oh, that's so cool. Please do share And somewhere pictures. in between, she decided to eat the back seat. But other than that, you know. Yeah. So. Well, <laughs> as I understand it, and I, I can 
could be wrong. I'm sure one of our listeners will tell me, and I hope they do. Please, please email me or call the show um, and let us know. But back in the day, I thought in the 60s, when these cars, when the hot rods were starting to take off, that you basically had what we call an MSO option now, where you could literally go to the dealer and special order a lot of custom stuff like that. And it wasn't that unheard of. Because I remember seeing, like, oh, I think it was... I think it was CUDAs and stuff like that you could get with special paint colors and you could get with special options that weren't necessarily on the books as long as you just paid a little extra. Like you really just said the dealers had a much smaller relationship. I mean, think about it. There was one tenth the number of people in the U.S. buying cars. And so they just had to make a special call and it was just a matter of money. And yeah, you call this guy and he knows this guy at the factory and you do it. I figured that. I just didn't. I mean, you, like when he was talking about the GTO yeah. and you're talking about the colors that it comes in and having the custom red pinstripes, like I've never seen a GTO in that color Me ever. Either. So that's yeah. why I was, I didn't know if that was a thing through, you know, he, because he ran a Sunoco. Or, is that his Sunoco? Is that how you say it? Yeah. <laughs> that maybe he yeah. knew somebody at the factory that, that could get maybe. it done. So that's yeah. interesting. Could have been. Yeah. And sorry to no. talk about the Pontiac GTO, but what also is cool is, Interesting is there were special there are five special paint colors that year. It doesn't say it on the window sticker. It doesn't say it on the invoice if you're lucky enough to have either one of those. It does say it on the build sheet. That's the only way. Like if you find a stripped down barn fine, you know, special paint, you don't know what yeah. it is unless it's actually still on the car there somewhere, or you have the build sheet. The other paperwork doesn't show it. This car also has the protecto plate with the owner's name, you know, stamped into it, which is cool, and a little plastic keychain from the original uh dealership with his name on it as well um it's just like i'm i'm trying to grab all this stuff and i want to put it in a fun video to kind of capture all these incredible pictures and documentation of this crazy where did you say they found the build sheet when they dropped the gas tank is that where it was it was it was taped to the top it was on top of the gas tank interesting yeah wow yeah it was put into storage in 83 they pulled it out like i don't know six months ago and uh yeah you're like, really? you're like I, not only yeah. can I help you find a buyer, I am your buyer. Yeah, yeah I'll help you find yeah. one. Well, what was nice is it, they already had somebody appraise oh. it, and I paid above the appraisal. Like, I'm like, I'm not even going to argue, you know? And they asked for a little bit more. I'm like, I'm not even going to argue. <laughs> yeah, that's the car it, I want. You know? Yeah, exactly. Well, that's a good thing to yeah. know. I mean, people, if you've got a, kind of a special build car, hold on to those build sheets and those window stickers. I laminate my window stickers when I, I mean, I don't buy a new car very often, but I even have the one for the Raptor. I mean, just because it's like, I like to have them and I know the next buyer likes to have them. Uh, When I sold, I like all that. Yeah. When I sold my Z06, I had still to this day, I'm searching for another one just because it was fun. I had some of the rarest options out there and it made a huge difference when I sold the car because I could show them and be like, yeah, this is not modified. So I can't. We've talked about that before. Is that a C5 or C4? uh, I had a C6 and a C7, but my C7, I had it like basically loaded with some really odd options full carbon full exposed carbon z07 package stuff that no, people just don't no. normally get they do but they don't usually end up buying i had mine with all of it yeah. can you order an extra window sticker because every time i've ordered i bought a new car the window sticker leaves most of the residue on my window not that i would laminate one for the subaru but i'm saying like did you order a, sec- a second one for the z06 no just a, i was lucky brian elich was oh, aware right. that when i would that I would want it. He yeah. knew that he understood. Don't put that, it on the window. <laughs> well, he understood what I was buying and he understood that like, this is what I would want because this is what he would do. So yeah. it, it helped having a salesman who was head from his ass. Interesting. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, with the, actually the one with the, that came with R8, we need to laminate too. We got it. We just need to laminate. That's it. cool. Yeah. Very cool. 
Is that a V10 or V8? Uh, it's, a v, it's a V10 Quattro uh, Carbon 2021. It's my girlfriend's car. She bought it. Um, so it's wow, yeah, that's what she car. wanted. It was her dream car. So we we went in on that, and then I had to buy a trailer to carry it around the country. So. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of, that's a car that's kind of on my short list. Is uh, earlier Gen One R8. I actually would prefer the V8. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a guy that's got a red one, six thousand miles, absolutely mint, six speed. Car. Oh, there you go, that gated like, shifter. Oh, I said, uh, I said, thanks for taking care of my car. Let me know I can get it. <laughs> there's a guy on the forum right now selling a like one of three hundred and something uh, first gen R8 GT convertible with a six speed gated shifter, and so, but it's mm. an actual GT, and there's so few of them. Um, so I would I. I was like, hmm, it's 135 grand. I think that'd be a really, really cool car to have. I don't really want a convertible, but I fit in the Gen 1s, not the Gen 2s. Convertibles, it is. So, I don't know. I'm still looking for a Z06. That's again. a rough problem you have there, Dan. <laughs> oh, I didn't tell you. They got back to me on the BAC Mono. So, yeah. my, my car I'm like drooling over now that I feel like I must have in my life is a BAC Mono. I've wanted one since I saw it and they first came out. I actually wanted an Atom, and then like the BAC came along and won up the Atom. And... I grew up as a motorcycle rider. So for me, like those cars are like not as much work as a lot of people think they are for me. I'm like, this is even better. Um, but yeah, they came back at me at $250,000 for a used one with 5,000 miles on it. I'm like one, they're new at 250 and the last four that sold on being a trailer with less mileage and more options were uh, the max they sold for was 160. And I'm like, no, wow. I was like the market. And this is not, it's like, this is not during COVID. So I fired back. Are they at him. sending it back to England to have it redone? Yeah, and I, <laughs> I, I fired back. I was like, "Look, it's like this market does not justify this cost. If you can get something to pay it, great, but no thanks. Like that's yeah. insane." So I wanted to get the uh, Ariel Adam Nomad. Yes, the off road is that cool. the off road yeah. one? Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've yeah. Had, uh, who's got one here? Uh, ben had one. Yeah, Ben had one. Yeah. We had a friend that had one of those. Yeah. Very cool car. I still have it. I don't know. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> Never know with him. Anyway, so yeah. yeah. So what's next on your list? Yeah, what are, you, as, what are you shopping for out there besides the R8? Or you, you said you had a list. That's why I was looking. I was asking. Oh yeah, yeah. So uh, like the first early R8, love to have an NSX. Oh yeah, you know, first gen or you know, um, newer cars, the Mercedes GTC. I think that would be quite a car to have. I think those are future investment. I'm trying. You know, I do market trends all the time, and so I'm trying to. I'm not in it to make money, but I think it'd be fun to try to buy something that I think will appreciate and see if I'm right, mm-hmm. you know? And I had done that with a little 996 uh, Porsche, made a little bit on that, which was fun. Um, you know, I think the NSX is, not that they're they're not suppressed or at all, because they, they did such an incredible run-up. I just, I drove one of those, I sold one of those for an online sale, and it only had like 18,000 miles on it, and it was Monaco blue, and it was just pristine, and I fell in love with that thing. So I'd love to I'd love to try one of those. You know, the Corvette Z06 is on the list as well. Um, you know, any any of them really? I, I want something my wife will drive to, like to go on rallies together. You know, with um, so I wouldn't want it to be too early. Um, so you know, a newer 911 is on the list. An older 911 is on the list. You know, uh, 718 GT4 or or just a GTS four liter. I think that could be a mm-hmm. good one. You know, GTS so, is fan. The, the know, GTS 4.0 is a fantastic Cayman or Boxster. Either yeah. way, they're just great cars. There, there's a lot of articles. You're talking about market trends. There's a lot of articles coming out that says that the Porsche, the Porsches are 
are now a declining brand and as far as prices are going to start going down. I've seen three articles in the last two weeks on it. Well, that's interesting because they're the least depreciating car on the market. I know. Period, right they're now, now starting to depreciate. Greg, do you, do you, do you believe that uh, as you're looking for cars and looking at trends? It's funny. I'll give a little plug for an upcoming episode. Um, I, so RM Sotheby's is selling this incredible, the white collection. Yes. I just saw yeah. Magnus Walker go through it. Yeah. 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 So that's down in Houston. And um, anyways, I haven't been there, but I've heard about it for years. And there's some really special cars in there. And so, you know, I, RM Sotheby's is the biggest sponsor of my podcast. And so I try to cover some of their stuff. And when I do it, though, I want to do it in a fun way that's informative and so what I've done is I'm doing Porsche market trends uh, against some of the cars from that sale. And so what's funny is as I do market trends, most of the stuff I notice lately, if it's not down, it's flat. Huh. You know, it's just what's happening right now. But I was really surprised at the number of Porsches that were up and, you know, either, you know, single or even double digits. Um, I can't find my, uh, my, <laughs> my file right now or else I'd tell you, but, um, yeah, so that episode is going to come out, I think, in a week, and a, two weeks or so. And so in that, I will review, I don't know, 15 of the Porsches that are in the sale along with their market trends. And I was surprised that num- a number of them were still up single, if not double digits. Is, now, I, I, I guess I mis- misheard Magnus when he went through it. I thought they were trying to sell that collection as, as, a, as one sale. I didn't know they were separating the cars. Correct. So it's one auction separating the cars oh, okay. oh. anybody can bid oh, on the okay. cars I, I, yep. the way he yep. was talking about it, I thought it was like they were looking for one big buyer yep. to buy everything kind of thing so it's beautiful uh, it's an absolutely beautiful collection yeah. so yep. yeah yeah. there's some really special cars well, in there Porsche do live up to the hype I was going to say if you want a, a, a car to do rallies with your wife with um, I, we we my girlfriend I had a 991.1 Turbo S and we we picked it up in Delaware drove it home we cannonballed it in like three and a half days all the way back to Seattle and it, and oh, it was cool. probably I mean, easily, it, even over the R8, because it has a lot more space being, having seats, quote unquote, but fold down for luggage and the big frunk. We had plenty of room for luggage and things like that. And that was the most capable car I've ever owned. I won't say it was the most exciting um, in the sense that thrill me in the way I like cars too, but it was probably the single best car I've ever owned as far as, you know, all wheel drive, super smooth transmission, relatively low maintenance, power to days. And comfort. It was just plain comfortable. Heated and cooled seats. I mean, all the nice options and still just insanely fast. So, man, Porsches, they just live up to the hype. They're really great cars for two people to hang around in. And they're fun around town. They're fun on the highway. They're fun on the curves. You can do it all. Oddly well. Well, I got that 996 because I'd always heard about the Porsche experience. And I absolutely loved it. Not a fast car. I would call it, it scoots, I guess is the best way to put it. But I just loved it. I absolutely loved it. And, uh. Like I, I'm not a, honestly, the GTO I had to buy because it was such a special car. I wasn't, I've always liked them, but I wasn't searching for a muscle car that can handle curves. You know, that wouldn't, that wouldn't be something I'm pursuing at this point, especially after having that little 996. Like I'm now into the, you know, that kind of car, you know? And uh, I remember hearing, I think it was Seinfeld mentioned on one of the podcasts he was on, you know, about why. And it was, you know, the engines in the back, the response is so good. The front end's light because there's no engine up there, you know, and you can see the corners, you know, of, of each of the fenders. Yeah. You know, cause, cause the hood slopes down, you can read the road better, you know, like everything he said, I'm like, that all makes total sense. And it was talking about why he likes the nine eleven, And 
So I, I, I bought mine. I had it for four years or so and absolutely loved it. And I only sold it because I wanted to try a different experience. And uh, then I ended up finding another Mustang under a tarp in Florida. So. <laughs> it's meant to be. Meant to yeah, be. the last two cars that found yeah. me, they, I definitely, you know, wasn't searching. For sure. Well, um, it's been great having you on the show, man. Um, we'll definitely send people your way. Send us those photos. And our listeners, I'm sure, are dying to see your collection, uh, especially the stuff from the GTO. But yeah, send us everything you got. I would love to share that. And uh, yeah, uh, listeners, check out his, his uh, show, The Collector Car Podcast. Uh, we'll send a link there. Send the link to Greg. Um, check that out. Yeah, just so you know, I do a new podcast every Thursday. And then I was doing shorts, you know, like a short a day. Uh, so you can go back on my feed and you can see a lot of the stuff about the Ferrari GTO, you know, unloading it in Monterey for the big, you know, surprise, which it was a big surprise. I will have a kind of a recap video at some point when I can put it together. Pretty much my entire experience from consigning the car to take it to Monterey, to driving the car and almost hitting a couple deer, <laughs> you know, to New York. It's going to be like, you know, nuts to bolts, um, you know, behind the scenes kind of fun stuff. It's just going to take me a few months to get it out because I'm not an expert at this stuff. But all that stuff will come up and uh, I'll, I, I'll put some fun stuff. And if you want to be on my uh, e-newsletter, which I try to make it entertaining and fun, just shoot me an email at Greg at the Collector Car Podcast, and I'll add you to it. Great. Excellent. Well, we really appreciate your time. Yeah, guys. Thanks so much for having me. I really yeah. enjoyed it. For this episode of the Avance Podcast, as always, I'm Nick. I'm Dan, and don't just get there. Enjoy the drive.